What did good King Wenceslas look out on? The feast of Stephen. I thought I'd start with a question related to a Christmas carol just to torture Lloyd. <laughs> Who is Stephen? <laughs> Saint Stephen, the first martyr. From um, Acts 6 and 7, as we're looking today. Um, when is his feast? Why do we sing it around Christmas time? Because his feast is on the 26th of December. That's when um, a lot of churches celebrate or commemorate St. Stephen on the 26th of December, the day after Christmas, the day after this beautiful, romantic, sentimental day when we celebrate the birth of this very special child. So it's pretty clever. It's a pretty clever move, I think, that um, they put this feast of Stephen on the day following Christmas when we think about you know, when we think of the baby in the manger and the cattle are lowing and it's a silent night and it's all very peaceful, um, we might forget the part of the Christmas story where Jesus was born and there were people who opposed him immediately. You know, in the romance of the season, we can forget that, um, we can maybe si sideline that part of the story where, um, where Herod wants him dead and where Herod actually orders that all the boys two years and under in Bethlehem and in that vicinity are killed. And then Jesus escapes to um, Egypt with his family. That's a, a really important part of the Christmas story that maybe in the, in the joy of the season we, we sort of sideline. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, as it says in the Gospel of John. So many churches commemorate St. Stephen, the first martyr, the day after this um, joy of celebrating Jesus' birth. And... Um, so we can't really miss that direct implication of the gospel there, that, that with the gospel there will always be some who reject or who want to silence the good news. And uh, that's where it begins, with the incarnation, Christ entering into the world, and we know where it goes. So today we're going to look at what it means to be a martyr. Um, I was trying to think of... <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of what it means to be a martyr, and I was thinking of uh, trying to think of how I could weave in the um, suffering and persecution of the Auckland Blues for so many years <laughs> before the great redemption last night. Hallelujah! And anyway, at Urban this season, we're journeying through this book of Acts. Uh, it's a story of the early church, the first followers of Christ, and we're thinking about where the Holy Spirit is calling us as a church. It's a, a really opportune time for us, as Emma was speaking before, about us looking for a new physical home. Last week, Lloyd took us through the strange story of An uh, Ananias and Sapphira uh, in Acts chapter 5, and, they, and he taught us about the power of um, God's holiness. That's what that um, Acts chapter 5 was about. We're here at Acts chapter 6 now, and in that diagram, that's from the Bible Project, and I would highly recommend the Bible Project if you are looking for a summary of Acts. In Acts chapter 6, we read that the number of disciples in Jerusalem continued increasing after Pentecost. But there's this interesting little bit at the beginning of this chapter where they're talking about the Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem, because remember, Pentecost was where 
all these Jewish people from around the world or the known world had were gathering in Jerusalem for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. So in the city at the time, there's all these different types of Jews. And so many of them, after the Holy Spirit came on the 12 disciples, so many of them became followers of Jesus, followers of the way, as they used to call it. And they all spoke different languages, and they were from different groups, but they had this shared faith. Now, some of them were Greek-speaking Jews, and they had widows among them who were being overlooked for the daily distribution of food. So uh, as good uh, young church leaders would do, the 12 disciples, they do some delegating. And it's a good uh, thing for a church to, uh, if you're a church leader, to delegate. Um, they gathered all the disciples together and they said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the group chose several people, including Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith as well. And in the scripture, Stephen is described as a man full of God's grace and power. It's a really... Um, it's a it's a very kind uh, description of um, Stephen all through this this book. He's um, sounds like a, a really good looking guy. He's um, he's one of the Greek speaking Jews who has been assigned this job of serving the poorest in the community. And isn't that a great place to start as well? Uh, in that job, he goes on to perform great wonders and signs among the people. But opposition arose from members of the synagogue who who don't follow Jesus, and they began to argue with Stephen, as you read in Acts. Uh, they, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So, secretly, they persuade some others to say to tell some lies, to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they, they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and they, they brought him before the Jewish council and they got people to tell the lie that he was blaspheming. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? And it says, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, that's the council, looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was the face of an angel. So Stephen then, all through Acts chapter 7, it's a long speech that he gives, uh, and he goes all through... Um, he goes all through the story of the Old Testament, starting with, with Abraham and moving onwards through the prophets and pointing out how Israel's leaders have always rejected the messengers that God has sent them, including Jesus and now his followers, his disciples. And when they heard these things, the council became enraged and they ground their teeth at Stephen, but filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout they all rushed together against him, and they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. 
And when he had said that, he died. And it's from um, here in Acts that at the end of chapter 7 and into chapter 8 that there's a, a turning point in the story that the new church it scatters out of Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria. So from next week onwards, we're gonna, that, uh, this um, journey through Acts is going to change a bit. But we're still here in Jerusalem with Stephen. The story of Stephen sounds familiar. It's, um, Stephen is revealed to us as this man full of God's grace and power. He has this job serving the poor in the community, and he annoys those in power. And when he's on trial, he, he just tells the truth. He tells the truth of how Israel's religious leaders had stifled God's messengers through the ages. And when they kill him, he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. So it's just like towards the end of the Gospels, it's the, the passion of Christ. It's um, much like Jesus who said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And it's much like Jesus who said earlier in the Gospels, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who's, who's, who are sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he constructs the story really carefully to remind us, to remind believers of this trial and death of Jesus as we read about Stephen. He's um, wanting to challenge followers to, to understand. He's wanting to challenge them with this question, what could be the cost of our faith? He was the first martyr the first witness to die for his faith. The early church had uh, a lot of martyrs after this, and far from weakening the church or decimating its numbers, the witness offered by, uh, by the dying martyrs fueled the fire of the faith, and the church grew, leading uh, the writer um, Tertullian to declare in the year 197 that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Um. It was a really big movement early on because we've come such a long way since then. Um, in what year was it? The year 316 or 17, somewhere in the early 300s, someone can correct me, I think, when, um, when Rome became a Christian, Christianity was, became the religion of Rome. So at that point onwards, from there, Christianity became affiliated with um, empire and with the state. But before that, you had emperors like Nero who would burn Christians at the stake, and you had Christians um, in, the, in the, the Colosseum being eaten by tigers and um, lions. And so martyrdom in those first couple of hundred years was a, was a really big thing. And a couple of years ago, Katie and I went to Rome and w went to the catacombs where you can see just layers and layers and layers of... Um, places where the believers were originally buried to be hidden away from those uh, invading hordes who were taking over Rome at that time. We've come a long way in history since Stephen and that early church. So Christianity was adopted as the power of Rome and it became the religion of European states and empires for many years. And here we are now in one of the wealthier countries of the world in a secular liberal democracy where we're free to and safe to practice our faith and maybe the closest thing to the early church right now for us are 
maybe witnessed in regimes overseas like like China or maybe North Korea where people have they have to gather in secret. But here we are as well, gathered together in this room, asking God to, to guide us and how to share in God's love with the world around us. And much like the world around and much of the world around us uh, does not it doesn't want to be inconvenienced by the gospel. We're free to um, we're, sh- we're free to, to have our faith and to worship as long as we don't inconvenience others. <laughs> but um, the kingdom of God, it, it can't be domesticated, can it? Martyrs. The Greek word martyr, it actually means witness. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to be martyrs. Jesus, this is really the, the crux of um, what I'm saying today. We, we are called to be martyrs. We're called to be witnesses. Jesus didn't just say, follow me. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And um, if you're taking up a cross, well, you, you, you know where you're going. In Second Timothy, Paul says, everyone who wants to live in a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if someone says to you, if a Christian says to you, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, just remember the martyrs. So what do we do? What does it what does it mean for us right here to be martyrs or to be witnesses to the gospel today? Well, I don't know if I could I could I don't think I could ever be like Stephen. I I I sympathize so much with with Peter who who said he didn't know Jesus and ran away when Jesus was on trial. Um, he denied him three times um, after the cock crowed. And um, I think for me personally it means to be a witness, to be a, um, to be a martyr, is to get up each day and, and, and turn to um, try and surrender, to constantly um, su- try and surrender. To let go of, mostly to let go of the thing of um, wanting to be liked. To let go of the thing of wanting to be accepted. And to follow the truth, I suppose. To be like Stephen, to be like Jesus. You know, I want to I wanna find where I can best serve. And being a martyr or witness might not mean that we have to die. It means, I, I think, that, um, that we are true to God and we let go of ourselves. Or what, is, like it's, uh, I think Paul says, we let go of our selfish ambition. Whether that cost is, is great or small. And being a martyr for Christ doesn't mean, that it, it doesn't mean either that we um, go out and we, we shout at people on the street about Jesus and, and when they get annoyed at us, we feel justified and empowered and persecuted. It's, that's, that's not what being a martyr is. <laughs> if the missionary activity of the church, and this is really important for the church, the missionary activity, our outreach, if that is Christ-centered, it will follow the way of the cross and it will show a partiality to outsiders, strangers, and to all those considered alien or unworthy. And if it is spirit-centered, then there is freedom for the fullness of life and the just 
and peaceful community that God intends. And I feel really, I feel really um, blessed that we have, I think we have that here. And um, I'm hungry for more of it. And I think, I think that's what it means for us as a church to be witnesses, is to, to be Christ-centered and to follow the way of the cross and to be hospitable to outsiders and to those that society throws away and to, um, to stand with them until they're not thrown away. Father Richard Raw says that the gospel demands a great deal of us. It calls us to a perennially unpopular and unselfish path. It's little wonder that Jesus said, the world is going to hate you in John 15. Because when you can no longer play that game of, of judging people and labeling people and punishing others and scapegoating people, when we can no longer do those things, we quickly become the outsider at most parties that we might go to. It's little things like that, I think, that pop up in everyday life where we have that opportunity to be a witness and to, to, to not join in. So, it's a relatively brief message today. Hopefully I'm not too shallow, these thoughts. But I want to finish with the story of um, Thomas More. He was an English lawyer under Henry VIII. He was uh, made a saint for his, his courage to speak out and to resist the powers of his day. Now for Stephen, for St. Stephen, it was the Jewish authorities. But for Thomas More, it was um, Henry, King Henry VIII who, who, de who demanded this oath of supremacy. And More refused to sign that oath of supremacy. And, and Stephen, St. Stephen was stoned to death. And uh, Thomas More, he was beheaded. And More's last words were, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. And earlier in his life, when it appeared that this resistance to Henry was definitely going to lead to his death, to his demise, More had reflected on this challenge of, uh, to his conscience, whether he um, just fit in or whether he hold fast to the truth and he pick up his cross and follow. He... Um, there was a famous play and a film made about him called uh, A Man of All, For All Seasons. And in that um, story, the character Thomas More says, when a man takes an oath, he is holding his own self in his own hands like water. And if he opens his fingers, well, then he needn't hope to find himself again. And More understood that he couldn't obey Henry and remain true to God. He couldn't do both. So willingly, he poured out between his fingers what was left of his life in order to remain faithful to God, who he loved the most. Stephen also was, was sure that he had to speak out against the people who, were th who throughout history had rejected Moses and the prophets and who are now rejecting God's perfect picture of love in the person and the mission of Jesus. That's what Stephen was doing. He, he knew that he was letting his life, like, like water cupped up, slip between his fingers. And nevertheless, he was, he was willing to let go, just as Thomas More was, and just as Jesus did before them. So, as we finish today, I think, I was trying to think about how to finish, and I, I think 
speaking about being witnesses, speak about being martyrs, the ideal ending way to finish is for us to to look outwards. Because we are the church, and I can't remember where I heard this recently, but it's not so much that we're the hope of the world, but we are witnesses to the hope of the world. So we're here to be witnesses to what the kingdom of God is doing. So as martyrs, as witnesses, let's, let's stand. And maybe we can just finish today praying for all of those people of faith, all those people around the world of faith who face persecution. It's still a, such a very real thing in the world today.